Morning, everyone. My name is John. For those of you that don't know me, I've just got the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And today is a day that's in the Christian calendar. We traditionally celebrate the day of Pentecost, which is a, which is a day that the Holy Spirit was given and actually is, is the birth of the church, is the day that the church was born, that, that the, the people of God had access to the presence of God. And it was no longer only for one people group, but for, for all of uh, mankind. And uh, if you think about the emotional journey that the disciples had gone on, they'd watched this man that they had lit, essentially lived in a digs with for three years, uh, lived their lives together, and uh, they'd watched him be crucified brutally, and they'd, they'd, they'd dropped to the bottom of, uh, this is worst ever, and then they, they'd watched him, they'd, they'd been witnesses to his resurrection. He's now risen, and, and their questions to him were, okay, Jesus, so the, you, you died, now you're alive again. Is this, is, this is the time, right? You're now going to restore the, the kingdom to, our, to the people. And uh, Jesus says, no, it's actually not. I, it's better for me, that, it's better for you that I go. And Jesus is up like, what are you talking about? He says, it's better for you that I go. Because then the, the Father will send the promised help of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we find the disciples frightened. Jesus has gone. He's, 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 he's left to heaven. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And then he went. And they are frightened, sitting in, sitting in a room with doors closed, windows locked. So they don't know who is listening at the door, who's going to be listening on in their meetings and come and perhaps arrest one of them and put them to death. And um, then the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, the church is born. And uh, we've been looking at uh, a series called Woven, and we, we, we landed today with a man called Peter. And uh, the, the, the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit is given, has a profound impact on Peter's life. And um, I want to look at some of the things that's, uh, that, that uh, took place in Peter's life and uh, then weave them, in, weave them in with our own. Uh, because we, we're looking at uh, the series called Woven uh, is is this, the stories of Abraham and Joseph and Mary and John and today Peter. And I want to keep reminding us that the, the, the stories of people found in Scripture are, are not just historical accounts of people's lives. Uh, that's a cool story to read kids when they go to bed. It is, but it's more than that. And um, as, as I need something of your story and you need something of our story, of, of my story, to complete what God is writing in Anthem and in Durban today, so the people of the Bible need our lives and we need their lives um, to complete the story of what God is writing through humanity, right? Uh, my story is woven into theirs and their story is woven into ours because God is, God is not, uh, he, he didn't work then. It's not a BC God and then an AD God, right? He, that, that was a different God and we're worshiping, we worshiping a different God today. Our stories are very disconnected. No, it's, it's one story of the glory and the splendor of God working with humanity from start to finish. And so our stories are woven together. And uh, Peter is the story of a tempered radical. Peter is a proper radical. He's a man ruled by his emotions. He's someone who experiences super ha-has and super low lows. He often acts irrationally. He, he loves deeply and passionately, but he doesn't always act out of the place of love. doesn't sound like anybody we know, Right? But I want to encourage you, uh, because it does sound like a lot of people that you might know, I want you to, I want you to listen to the story of Peter, um, not nudging the person next to you and thinking of somebody else, but I want you to listen to the story of Peter and actually seeing yourself woven into the story of Peter. 
So I said that Peter is a tempered radical. And you know what tempered steel is? Tempered steel is steel that has gone through a process of, they, they, they first of all, superheat it. And so they take it to just below the boiling point of steel. Now, I don't know what that boiling point of steel is, but it's, it's, it's pretty hot, right, to boil steel. Just below the melting point of steel, uh, they heat it to there, and then uh, they cool it quite quickly with cold air. So it's superheated and then super cooled, um, and then that process is called tempering. And tempered steel is actually three times stronger than normal steel. You get normal steel, and then you get tempered steel. Steel that has gone through the superheating, super cooling process is three times stronger. And Peter is a man who is tempered. He is a radical who is tempered. He holds radical views. He lives a radical life. Um, but he's tempered by the superheat of dismal failure and betrayal. And then the cooling wind, the spirit blows in him. And it causes his life to be stronger than it ever was before. Some would say three times stronger, signs would tell us. This is a man, Peter walks on water to get to Jesus, and then he almost immediately doubts. As he, as, he, as he starts walking on the water to get to Jesus, the scripture says, and as he saw the waves, he began to sink into them. And, uh, and I'm not sure how many of us have believed God for something, and then we saw the obstacles in front of us, we saw the waves, and then we immediately doubted. I've done it many times. Peter sees Jesus transfigured on a mountaintop, talking with Moses and Elijah, and he, he's witness to this, this beautiful uh, moment. And his response is, let's set up camp here. I'm going to build a tent for the, for the three of us and my, and my two mates. Um, I wanna, Jesus, I want to camp on the mountain with you and my mates because I, this is a good place for me to be in the mountaintop. If I go down to the valleys, I'm going to have to deal with problems and people. And I'd rather stay on the mountain with Jesus and my mates. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there many times. Every time I go to a mountaintop, I'm like, can't I just live here? And not have to go and deal with what's in the valley. Jesus tells him, he says to Peter, you are going to deny me and betray me. And Peter swears that he won't. And then he goes and denies Jesus the same time, three times, the same night. How many of us have promised Jesus that we wouldn't do something again? And then we've gone and failed him by doing it again. Don't, don't show me by raising your hands because it's all of us. When they come to arrest Jesus, he cuts off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest, Peter does. So when they're arresting Jesus, there's a few people that are present at that time. It is the high priest who has come to arrest Jesus, and then it's the Roman soldiers who've obviously come armed to enforce, their, um, they are the judicial enforcement of the arrest of Jesus. And um, yet, so Peter pulls out a sword, and he's got the, the authority that is arresting Jesus. He's got the guys backing up the authority with military might, and, but he chooses to cut off the ear of a servant of the high priest. And I'm not sure how many of us have lashed out at someone who was a soft target because we were so passionate about doing something good and yet we didn't know how to respond appropriately. This is the story of Peter. Peter's story doesn't end with Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit is given, but his calling does find its purpose there and we'll get to that a little bit later. And Peter ends up dying as a martyr and the historical account is that he's crucified up, upside down because he tells the Romans that I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to pull out of Peter's life that reflect the same thread as ours. And then we're going to be done. So firstly, a, a simple call. 
Matthew chapter 4, Peter and his brother Andrew are fishing, and Jesus comes to Peter, and he says to them, he says to him, follow me, and I will teach you to fish for men. I will make you a fisher of men. And if you've read the scriptures, perhaps you've been following Jesus for a while, you'll be familiar with this passage of scripture, and you'll be familiar with this call to Peter. And I think many of us have read it and thought that that is God's simple call for us too, that he would teach us to, uh, f- to become fishers of men, that we either by hook or by net, many of us by hook, we will hook people and, and, and fish for them in the kingdom. And um, I, I don't think, friends, that that's what, what, Peter is, what Jesus is saying to Peter. I think what he's saying to him is, I'm going to take the thing that you do every single day, I'm going to redeem it, and then you're going to use that thing to lead people to me. So if Jesus was an accountant, he would have said to him, Peter, come and follow me. I will teach you to not only balance books, but to balance people. If, if Peter was a lawyer, Jesus would have said to him, Peter, come and follow me. and I'm going to teach you not to be a lawyer. No, he would have said, come and follow me and I'll teach you not only about the justice of earth, but about the justice of heaven. See, what he's saying to him is, take the thing that you do every day, the thing that you are gifted at, what you spend Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 doing, take that, and I will use it to win people to Christ. Many people want to know, how, how can I serve God? What does God want from me? And I think we've got it wrong in the past. where We've, we've set up the work of preaching and leading in the church as the pinnacle of what God is calling people to do, as if they're building blocks. And, and the top building block is you get to leave your job and work in the church. And that's, that's when you're really serving God. But the problem with this way of thinking is how many people get to work at the church? How many people carry the gift of leadership or teaching? Let's say it's 10. It's not, but for argument's sake, let's say it's 10. What that means is, of all of us sitting here this morning over the, over the 8.30 service and this service, 10 of us get to truly serve God, and the rest of us just get to go along for the ride, and perhaps in a bit of our spare time, if we've got a bit of leisure time, we get to do something for God there. If that's what our way of thinking is, that's where that leads to. But the end goal of salvation is not only to save a person's soul, it's to save their marriage. It's to save their thought life. It's to save their sense of self-worth, their kids, their businesses. The whole person is to be redeemed. Of course, this is a spiritual act, but it's got very practical implications for how we think about the word mission. So what that means is mission is not going to another country to tell people about Jesus. Mission is not necessarily going and telling my neighbor about Jesus only. Mission, to be a missionary, to be on mission, is taking the thing that I do, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, if I'm a fisherman, Jesus, it's allowing Jesus to teach me to fish for men. It's taking the thing that's in my hands, the thing that I'm good at, the thing that I do with my whole life, and using that to lead people to Christ. That's what it means to be a mission, to be on mission. To be engaged in mission doesn't mean that we have Christian companies. It means that we have people who run them and work in them that are engaged and equipped in using what they do every day to reach people for Jesus. God's call to you in your business, in your, wherever you work, in your school, in your varsity, wherever you study, when you're at home, God's call to all of us is simple. It doesn't mean that we have to change our email signatures to a scripture. It doesn't mean that our company name has to have a biblical reference. 
It simply means that all of us live by the principles of the Bible. We treat our staff and our, uh, our fellow workers. We treat our fellow students and our teachers justly. We treat our customers equitably. We're honest. And we always seek the higher good for people in any situation, not to get the upper hand. That's what it simply means to be a Christian business. And you see the purpose of what you're doing, being people coming to know Jesus. See, the Jesus that you preach through how you live your life will be a far more authentic Jesus than any Jesus you could ever preach from a stage. So if you're thinking to yourself, um, if, if I'm good, if I follow Jesus and I'm, I'm really... And, 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 and I'm really like sold out for Jesus, then perhaps one day I'll get to preach. I've got bad news for you. You're probably not. If, unless that's what God's called you to do, right? For, some, for, for, for a small number of people, that is what God has called you to do. Therefore, I want to blow wind into that. You, you must do it. But for the majority of us, that's not what God has called us to do. And so if that's what we think ministry is, if that's what we think it means to be on mission, if, if, I, if I need a stage to be able to tell people about Jesus, then I'm not going to get a stage. And what's going to happen is I'm never going to tell people about Jesus. See, the Jesus that you preach to people through how you live your life with them is far more authentic than any Jesus you can preach from a stage. And me. Number two, through following, we are qualified to lead. John chapter 20 says this, Jesus has just been crucified. He hasn't yet risen from the dead, so he's, he's still dead. He's in the tomb, as far as his disciples know. And it says this in verse 1 of John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John writes this book. He says, I just want you to know, me and Peter were having a race. I beat him. I won. I just want you all to know, for all time to be recorded, I won. After stooping to look in, Peter, uh, John gets there first and he stoops to look in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter came following him, behind, this was behind me, uh, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, just to remember, also went in, and he saw and believed. So Peter has to follow Mary and John to the tomb. But by the time he reaches the tomb, he has reached a place where he's able to lead others in. So Peter, has, has, um, he's, reached the, he's, he's been previously at the bottom, right? He's denied Jesus. So he's, he's run and hid in shame. He needs to follow Mary. Mary goes to the tomb first. Then she comes and calls Peter and John. Because Peter, if she just called Peter, he wasn't coming on his own. She calls Peter and John. John goes ahead of Peter stops at the tomb. And because Peter has followed Mary and he's followed John, when he gets to the tomb, he's then able to go in first and he leads John and the other disciples into the tomb where Jesus had lain. See, if Peter had never followed, he never would have led. We live in a world where we think that to be a leader means you have to have all the answers and you have to have the loudest voice or you have to be at the best at something. I've got sporty kids. And when they're young, the, the, the best player in the team is the captain. But when you get a bit older, you realize that the best player is not always the best leader. The best leader is the best leader. 
to, to have the most ability doesn't mean you make you the best leader. So Peter here has to borrow courage from Mary, and he borrows courage from John, because as I said, he's lost the plot the night before. And because he follows them, he reaches a place where he's qualified to lead. Perhaps you've never thought of yourself as a leader. Perhaps you've got no desire to lead. But do you want to live a, a full, flourishing life? Do you want to live that? Because if you do, the only way that you're going to ever be able to do that is to start by leading yourself. So the thing that qualifies me to lead others is that I can lead myself. And the thing that qualifies me to, even if I don't desire to ever lead others, I still have to lead myself to live a full, flourishing life. And the thing that qualifies me to lead myself is that I follow, first of all, Jesus, and second of all, somebody else. Peter has to borrow courage to keep following. Who can you borrow courage from in, in order to keep following? If the people around you don't lend you courage when it starts getting dark, perhaps you've surrounded yourself with the wrong people. Peter surrounds himself with Mary and John that he can borrow courage from. If the people you have surrounded yourself with don't give you courage to follow when it's dark, perhaps you've surrounded yourself with the wrong people. See, follow, following isn't only about borrowing courage, it's also sometimes about lending courage. Who can you lend it to? Friends, our stories are woven with Peter's because it's the act of following that qualifies us to lead both ourselves and others. Thirdly, personal revelation. At the end of the day, Jesus is the issue. Jesus is the issue that everything will boil down to, everything comes down to. Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, who do people say that I am? And he asks us the same question. Who do people say that I am? The people that you are with every day, who do they think Jesus is? The people that you work with, the people you're at school with, who do they think Jesus is? Do they think Jesus is something that they've been preached from a stage? Do they think Jesus is somebody that they've read about on the internet? I, I hope not. Or, or, do they, or is who they think Jesus is shaped by how you've lived with them? And so Jesus asks this question of his disciples, and they, they give him a bunch of answers. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or another prophet. And then Jesus gets down, and he drills down one level deeper to the, to the heart of the matter. And he says, yeah, that's fine, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers him. He says, you are the Messiah, the Christ of God, the Son of God. Can you say the same, friends? Can you say that you have had a personal revelation of who Jesus is? But be careful, because today many people believe in Jesus in all sorts of ways. We, we believe in Jesus, the good but not quite perfect, and therefore correctable teacher. We believe in Jesus, the pretty insightful advisor. We believe in Jesus, the conveniently malleable symbol of the moment. Jesus, that we can mold and make him into something that's palatable for somebody else. Something that's not offensive. We, we, we make Jesus into something we can, we can stomach. And we think that others can stomach too. But what Jesus asks his disciples and he asks us is not actually, who do you think I am? He's, he's, what he's asking them is, do you believe that I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I am the Son of Man with authority to forgive sins? Do you believe that I am the I am who exists from eternity? Do you believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no way to get to the Father except through me? 
Do you believe that I'm the perfect one that nobody can accuse of sin? That I'm the Lord who claims all authority in heaven and on earth and has been vindicated in resurrection by the Father? The one who says that to love him is to obey him and keep his commands. Do you believe that Jesus is the crucified one who gave his life as a ransom for your life? Or do you believe Jesus is who you would like to make him to be? See, the question isn't whether we believe. The question is whether we believe he is who he said he is. If not, it doesn't really matter who we think he is. If I don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is, then it doesn't really matter what I believe he actually is. If Jesus is who he says he is, then it means that I can believe that and trust him to take care of the rest for the rest of my life. If he's not who he says he is, then I can actually make him into anything that I want him to be. And what I'm, everything that I'm saying today doesn't matter. And what we're doing here today is a waste of time. It's nice. I, I mean, I, I, I like seeing you. But to be honest, if Jesus is not who he is, who he says he is, then, then Christianity is a waste of time and we shouldn't be doing it. Friends, it's vital that each of us have a personal revelation that Jesus is who he said he is. And that's the only time in the Christian faith that we ever get to use the word personal. When Jesus prays, he prays and he says, my father. And yet when he teaches his disciples to pray, how does he teach them to pray? He says, start like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. See, Jesus is not my personal God that I get to take out and put away whenever I feel like it. And then I get to mold into an image of who I'd like him to be. And I get to withhold him from people that uh, I feel don't deserve his love. That's what it, that's what it means to have a personal God. I, I, I can carve it and make it into what I'd, whatever I'd like it to look like. I put it in my pockets when it's inconvenient. And if I don't want somebody to have access to it, I hide it away when they come to my house. That is a personal God. And Jesus says, no, I am our Father, not my Father. And the only personal aspect that I need is a revelation that He is who He says He is, the promised Son of God, the only one who can forgive me of my sins and lead me to the Father. Number four, repentance leads to restoration. So repentance simply means coming to Jesus. So we need to understand the depth of the predicament that Peter's in here. So uh, Jesus, as you perhaps know, if you've read the scriptures, has 12 disciples. He has 12 guys that he lives in a commune and or digs with uh, for three years. And they, they literally eat, sleep, breathe, walk. They, they live together for 12 years, these 12 guys. And, but other than the 12, he's then got three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that, he is, that he's closer with than the, the, the other nine nine, and the other nine. And uh, Peter is one of those guys. So Peter doesn't just know Jesus from afar. Peter knows Jesus intimately. He knows him closely. So when at the Last Supper, when Jesus stands up and he, and, and he says, y'all are going to deny me and betray me. One of you are going to betray me, and the rest of you are going to deny me and scatter when, when I die. Peter stands up and he says, no, no, no. The, the rest of them might go. I'm one of the three. Jesus, whatever happens, I will not go. And Peter, and Jesus looks straight at him and he says, Peter, I just want you to know that before the cock crows three times tomorrow morning, before sunrise tomorrow morning, you're going to have denied me three times. When Jesus, for Jesus to look at Peter and say that, you need to understand that that would have cut Peter. It would have cut him deeply. This is one of his best friends. And Peter is staying in front of his friends. No, Jesus, I'm the guy. And Jesus says, actually, Peter, sorry, 
you're not the guy. He's dropped. The third time that Peter denies knowing Jesus, he's, Peter's exposed by a servant girl. So in, in that day and age, a, a servant girl is, is the bottom of society. She's a servant and she's a girl. She's the bottom of society at, at, and, and, and that time. Nobody would have ever listened to her word. Her word would have counted for nothing. And yet Peter is so worried about being exposed as a Jesus follower that the, the, word, the, the person with the, the least believable word in society calls him out. And he says, I, don't, I never even knew the man. And so he's got this gut-wrenching feeling of betrayal, of betraying his best friend. He's got the guilt of knowing that Jesus predicted that it would happen. And then he's got the shame of being exposed by a servant girl. It's safe to say Peter is at stage eight load shedding. This is rock bottom, right? It doesn't get lower than this for Peter. Stage eight load shedding, no water, and there's a pothole just outside his house, right? This is rock bottom for Peter. But there's something that happens in an encounter with Jesus in John 21 that changes Peter's destiny. So the disciples have gone back to fishing, and they've, they've, this is what they've known. And they've fished all night, and the scriptures say they've fished all night and caught nothing. See, when, when we try and work in a state of depression and guilt and shame, our work becomes fruitless. So they'd worked, they'd fished all night, what we'd always done, because that's the state I was in, there was, there was no fruit. And then after that, they, they see a guy on shore, and the guy says to them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. He shouts to them. What? Throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And so they throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And it says that they, they catch so much fish that they actually have to go to call their friends' boats to come and help them take the, the fish in. And it says this in verse 7 of John 21. Then the disciple whom Jesus, Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. John's the first one to recognize him. It's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his garments around him and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish in it and some bread. As a, as a good South African male, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Jesus has a fish bra with his friends. It's biblical to have a fish bra. We should be having fresh bras and bread with our friends. Amen. Verse 10 says this, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've that you've caught. And so Peter climbed into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. So Peter, uh, Jesus has said to Peter, you're going to betray me. And when Jesus said that, he is, what is he doing with his disciples? He's breaking bread. He said, this is my body, broken for you. He's breaking bread with him. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And you, by the way, you're all going to abandon me. Peter, yes, actually, Peter, it is you. Now, the first time that Peter sees Jesus after that, what is he doing? He comes to Peter and he breaks bread with him. He gives him bread and he gives him fish. And he has a bra with Peter. I think that when Peter saw Jesus, the last thing that he expected to find was grace. He could have rightly expected a proper shoe hiding from Jesus. Peter, I was, I was beaten. I was crucified. And what were you doing, Peter, when this was happening? What, where, where were you? Exactly where I said you'd be and you promised that you wouldn't. Peter, you need to do better. Peter could have rightly expected a proper rebuke from Jesus. But what he finds instead is grace. Friends, 
today, God still gives his grace to those that didn't earn it, to those that don't expect it, and to those that don't deserve it. If you will, still, if you will simply come to Jesus like Peter did. See, the disciples had gone back to fishing, what they'd always done, thinking to themselves, that was a cool three years with Jesus. Gee, we saw some cool stuff. So sad that it's over. Uh, one of those things, right? That, that's, that's what the disciples were, were, were thinking, that, and that's why they've gone back to fishing. Because when we think that we get things wrong, we tend to abandon God because we think that his plan no longer applies to our lives because we've messed it up. Peter's been told by Jesus that he's one of the guys that he's going to build his church on, and yet then he denies Jesus. And so what he does is he thinks, ah, oh, this was on offer, and I, I messed it up. And so... Therefore, it's not on offer anymore. What I actually now need to do is go back to what I've always done, fishing. But Peter comes to Jesus in a, an act of simple repentance, and he finds grace, and he's restored to what God has called him to do in the first place. See, friends, repentance enables our stories to be redeemed at any time. There, there is no place that your life is in, there's no place that your life has ever been that is too far gone for repentance to enable God to restore you. Sometimes God redeems our story by surrounding us with people who need to hear about our past so that it doesn't become their future. God is able to redeem our stories if we will come running to the Father. The problem with humans is that when our stories take a left turn instead of a right, we tend to get sulky and feel sorry for ourselves, as if our messing up has offended God. I can promise you that God isn't offended by us, but He is waiting for us to come running to Him and repent so that we can be restored. And because we live in a community called the church, God often redeems our stories so that others can learn from them and so that they don't keep following the same wrong path. Friends, in this church, there are, there are some of us, many of us who have failed, and many of us, many more who have failed well. We, we are not just a church of people who have failed. We are a church of people who has failed well. Many of us, some people did professionally, but uh, many of us have failed well. And some of these stories of failure and redemption need to be shared with others so that they can borrow courage from us and come back to Jesus so that their lives can also be restored. Our stories can be redeemed at any time. Those that don't earn it, couldn't expect it, and don't deserve it, if they will repent, if they will come to Jesus, receive the grace of God. And then lastly, the power to complete so in Acts chapter 2, it says this, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. So Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. This is the same Peter who a couple of days before that has been hiding in a room, afraid. And the same Peter who a couple of days before that has denied Jesus and gone back to fishing. All right? Then the day of Pentecost comes when they are hiding in the upper room and they receive, they receive the promised Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up a couple of days later in front of the eleven. He raises his voice. He speaks to the crowd. And he, he raises his voice and addresses the crowd. And it says this in verse 40. He preaches. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is just over three years since Jesus has said to Peter, follow me and I'll teach you to catch men instead of fish. 
And as Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he receives power to fulfill what Jesus had called him to do. You see, friends, the, the Holy Spirit is given to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is given to be our peace, to reveal to us the love of the Father, to make Jesus known to us, of course. But he's also given to us to empower us to fulfill the simple call that Jesus has given to every one of us. So he, he, he says to, to Peter, I've got a simple call. Follow me, and I'll teach you to catch men instead of fish. And Peter bumbles along for, for, for three years. He bumbles along, swinging this way, swinging that way, messing up, uh, and then he receives power. And what happens? He stands up, and the first time he metaphorically casts a net out, 3,000 people are added to the kingdom of God. And I think that was the moment when Peter stood there and he thought, oh, I get it. You'll teach me to catch people, and not, you'll teach me to catch people and not fish. I get it. See, Peter needed the power of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost in order to fulfill his simple call. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, a simple call is just simple. With the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the kingdom of God. Friends, for you to have empowered faith is to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called you to do. And what God has called you to do is to take the thing that you do every day and use it to not only make a living, but to see people set free and come to live in a fullness of life through the knowledge of Jesus, through you, through you, through what you do every single day. Our lives are woven with Peter's because we all have received a simple call from God. We all need to be tempered by the heat of massive letdowns and the cool breeze, the cool wind of the Spirit of grace and restoration. We all need to follow somebody to qualify us to lead. Repentance leads all of us to restoration. We need to have a personal revelation of Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit made available to us to empower us, all of us, to fulfill our simple call. I'd like to pray for two groups of people today. The first is those who don't yet know Jesus. You might have listened, you might have listened to the story of Peter and thought to yourself, that's something that I'd like for my life. I'm going to pray for you in a minute or two. The second group of people is, that I'd like to pray for is those who have never seen the call of God over your life as simply doing what he's put in your hands to do with power for the sake of the kingdom. Perhaps that you thought to serve God, you need to quit your job or give more of your spare time to the church or, or you need to just try a little bit harder. That's what it means for you to serve God. And I uh, I trust that this morning you would have realized that what is God is God's simple call on your life is to do the things that He's put in your hands every day with power for the sake of seeing others come into freedom and the knowledge of Christ. I want to pray today that you would receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that your call can be completed and fulfilled. Why don't you stand with me, please, friends?